Welcome to the TV Deets Podcast. My name is Brett and I'm the guy behind the blog. An extension of tvdeets.com, join us for a brand new episode each week as we break down the latest unscripted news and ratings and share exclusive piping hot tea on all of your favorite reality shows. Now, let's get into it. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TV Deets Podcast. Not only have we made it through another week, but it's now August. I hope you're enjoying your summer, relaxing, getting in that me time, and of course, binging all of your favorite reality shows. That's what I've been doing. This week, we'll discuss the final part of that NeNe Leaks Carlos King interview. I'll give you another ratings recap, and we're going to dive into that whole Bravo reboot conversation. Should other franchises be rebooted? Plus, some Potomac tea for my diehard listeners. All of that coming up in the next hour of the TV Deets podcast. Did you guys catch the final part of that NeNe Leaks interview with Carlos King? Now, I know a lot of Atlanta fans are split on NeNe and this interview, but like I said last week, I found it really insightful. NeNe is so funny to me, and her shade is like no other. Now, this week, NeNe opened up in a heavily edited segment, I might add, about her ongoing lawsuit with Bravo, and claimed that the entire RHOA cast has experienced the same unfair treatment that she has been talking about. I found this really interesting and wanted to play you a clip from Carlos's podcast, Reality with the King. Listen up. Why did you feel the need to sue Bravo, NBC, and Andy Cohen? Um, first of all, I can't say that much about it because we are still, you know, in our lawsuit. But um, I had a, a love and respect for them that I honestly don't think they ever had for me, honestly. And um, to this day, I still respect them for what they do. Um, they do it great. You know, you cannot take that away from them. They're great at what they do. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't experienced enough to know that in a lot of these corporate places, they don't love you. I mean, they you're here to work and then they can throw you out the door anytime they feel like it. Uh, I love them and I had personal relationships with them because when I started Bravo, they weren't there. They were big, but they weren't big like they are now. So my contact people were, I talked directly to, you know, the president of the network and directly to Andy and directly to all the executive. I just talked to them directly, emailed them directly, called their phones directly. Today they have grown so big that people aren't talking to them directly you're talking to someone else to get to them and that kind of thing all I ever wanted on this show was to be treated fairly and a lot of girls and the people that work on the show and behind the scene know that there was things that just were not fair at all and it 
pains me and hurts me deeply how I fought for some of the girls that are on the show and how they did not fight for me to stay on the show and how much I fought for them to stay on the show. That's very painful. And who, um, who exactly? The cast, period. Okay. Like all of these girls know that there was unfair treatment because we all have been in group text messages where all of these girls have texted and said that they were feeling unfair treatment. They didn't get fair treatment. Um, there's no secret. I have the text messages. They have the text messages. We've all been in group text messages for a very long time since we've been on the show, right? So I know the complaints. Uh, there's been times when we have complained and we all sat with the executives to talk about, you know, things that we felt that were not fair. And um, I just felt like I wasn't getting fair treatment. And I feel like I should have been treated differently. And I should have been, I should have been giving better fair treatment. That's it. Is, and I mm. want you to know that I have always, from day one, been very open to sitting down and having a conversation to figure out how to work anything out, how to move forward, how to just anything that we could do to just move forward. I've always been very open to that. Um, I can't say that the other side has been that way, but I have always been open. So I see a lot of people commenting and saying things like, you know, why y'all can't work it out or why can't mm -hmm. y'all do this? I've always been open to working it out. I've always, you know, people say, well, maybe NeNe didn't want to do it. That's not true. I've always been open to working it out. I've always been open to having a conversation. They have never wanted to have a conversation or they've never wanted to move forward. Wow. You know, honestly, what Nini is saying here makes a lot of sense to me. When she first started at Bravo, it was just such a smaller operation, and she clearly moved in a way that the network really isn't a fan of any longer. Her realization that the talent at Bravo are just employees is really telling, and it's kind of what I've experienced as a fan in recent years. Like, I remember when LVP first left Beverly Hills. I found that shocking, and just the whole way the network handled it. It was just weird to me that you would treat someone who brought you so many accolades and ratings that way. Now, clearly LVP and Bravo have made up, but I still consider one of the housewives they tried. You know, they tried it with LVP. But really, what Nini is saying also applies to the Roni Legacy cast, and it's one of the reasons I've been hesitant to really jump into that new season. I talked about it last week on the podcast, and I am watching the show, but... Firing the entire cast of a show in a press release is really almost unheard of in TV, and it just didn't sit right with me. I do think, though, that in this interview, Nini does lack some accountability. I liked hearing her perspective, but I feel like we're still a ways away from any real resolution, considering there just seems to be so many hurt feelings on both sides. But honestly, if the housewives are expected to make up with each other after some of the issues we've seen them go through, can't Andy and Bravo for forgive Nini? Like, come on. Just my two cents. Welcome to week two of a segment I'm calling Ratings Recap. So first up is Bravo. I'm just going to let you know where all of our favorite Bravo shows ended up for the week. So, Real Housewives of Atlanta was number one for Bravo, with a 0.25 share of the person's 18-49 to 49 demo and 808,000 live viewers. Below Deck Down Under was number two, with a 0.23 share and 845,000 viewers. 
Vicky's return to Real Housewives of Orange County was up next with a 0.21 in the demo and 770,000 viewers, up from a season low last week. Another episode of Below Deck Down Under took home a 0.16 in the demo and 722,000 viewers. Now keep in mind, Bravo is airing Below Deck, including Below Deck Down Under, on Mondays back-to-back, so you're seeing two episodes of those each week. Now, Roni was number six for the week with a 0.13 in the demo and 452,000 viewers, down sharply from episode three and continuing a downward trend for that show. Project Runway was number seven with a 0.11 and 782,000 live viewers, and Luann and Sonia, Welcome to Crappy Lake, was ninth with a 0.10 and 354,000 live viewers. Now, some notes with the ratings. Again, this demo, guys, the person's 18 to 49 age group. The reason why ratings are ranked that way is because that is the demographic that is most valuable to the advertisers. So again, it's always demo over overall viewers. Some notes, Real Housewives of Atlanta, guys, is really steady. Looking back at the numbers for this season, the back half should be really strong as we've seen kind of a turn since the season high back on June 11th. That episode brought in a 0.27 share and 921,000 viewers. Now, this is still down from season 14, like I've been telling you about, and it does trail TLC's 90 Day Fiance, which airs at the same time every Sunday, but Atlanta is still the top-rated Bravo show on the air right now, and is doing very well on Peacock. Now, the Roni reboot continues to disappoint. This one logged a new low um, with its recent episode, so unless we see a surprising turnaround with this next week's episode, I am expecting a series low for New York City. The current series low is actually the Secrets Revealed episode from season 13. Now, with all the promotion and money spent on the reboot, even if Bravo is saving money by firing the OGs, This reboot cannot and should not be viewed as a success in terms of the ratings. Now, what you're seeing on screen and whether you enjoy the show, completely different conversation. Family Karma, which is not returning for season four, averaged uh, 0.10 and 590,000 live viewers, for example. So all the canceled shows, it's time for you to enter the chat. Now, Discovery was the clear winner of the week on cable, with the network taking nine of the top ten spots, thanks to Shark Week. So, Shark Week is just crushing everyone else. And that's your little ratings recap. I've been getting a lot of questions and seeing a lot of comments from Bravo fans about other Bravo shows needing the reboot treatment following the relaunch of The Real Housewives of New York City. So as a film and TV buff, this is like my bread and butter. I love this. Reboots can work and can certainly reinvigorate a franchise. We've seen that before. Now, when I was doing research for this segment, something kept sticking out to me about the whole Roni situation, and I just keep coming back to how the old cast was tossed to the side, and we are just expected to welcome an entirely new cast of nobodies with open arms, and maybe that's why Bravo fans are being a little shady. So, I'm a huge Scream fan. I don't know if you guys are. One thing that franchise has done correctly over the years is involving both new and legacy characters in the movies, and it got me thinking. Maybe rebooting Real Housewives of New York was the right idea, but maybe it's the way Bravo has gone about it 
and that's where the issue lies. I want to play a clip for you from 2023's Scream 6. In this clip, Mindy, who is an all-star character, props to Mindy, we love you, she gives the cast the rules of the movie. So in other words, who is going to live and who will die? This is a scene that has been included in almost all Scream movies, but should really apply to Bravo and reality TV reboots too. Let's listen to this clip. We're in a franchise, and there are certain rules to a continuing franchise. I had a feeling. Rule one, everything is bigger than last time. Bigger budget, bigger cast, bigger body count, longer chases, shootouts, beheadings. You gotta top what came before to keep people coming back. Beheadings? Beheadings. Rule two, Whatever happened last time, expect the opposite. Franchises only survive by subverting expectations. If the killers last time were whiny snowflake film nerds with letterboxed accounts instead of personalities, you can bet the opposite will be true here. And rule three, no one is safe. Legacy characters, cannon fodder at this point. Usually brought back only to be killed off in some cheap bid for nostalgia. It's not looking too good for Gail and Kirby. Oh, and that's not even the worst part. This is the part where she tells us the worst part. The worst part is franchises are just continuing episodic installments designed to boost an IP, which means main characters are completely expendable now, too. Laurie Strode, Nancy Thompson, Ellen Ripley, Sally Hardesty, Jigsaw, Tony Stark, James Bond. I mean, even Luke Skywalker all died so their franchises could live on. That means it's not just the friend group. Any of us could go at any time, especially Sam and Tara. Interesting, right? So like Scream, The Real Housewives is a franchise, and rule number one is bigger and better, budget and cast. Now, Roni certainly got a huge marketing budget this year, but we are stuck with just six women after Lizzie Savetsky dropped out. So they failed on the bigger cast and more interesting characters part. Now, rule number two was to expect the opposite. So if Roni season 13 was too political, too MAGA, if you like, uh, this new edition seems to be avoiding tough topics altogether. I mean, we're talking about Jessel and whether or not she has had sex with her husband in the last two years. Flip on over to Sex in the City and just like that, and you'll see they're talking about pegging and a whole lot of other things. <laughs> But other than that, things are pretty similar. We have a few Karens on the cast, <coughs> Aaron, and we're watching the women in PJs around a bonfire while on a cast trip to the Hamptons. So if you catch my drift. Now, rule number three is no one is safe, including the legacy characters. This one Bravo got correct, although they didn't even bother killing off the legacy characters in the first place. <laughs> rule number four was pretty interesting too main characters are expendable. Since we don't have any legacy characters on the Roni reboot, that means this cast is expendable just like the last one. Now, I want to play you a scene from Scream 5, where the same character, Mindy, explains how to properly handle a legacy cast. So the first three attacks are all on people related to the original killers. Oh my god, he's making a requel! A what? Or a legacy sequel. Fans are torn on the terminology. God, please speak English. Okay. Remember the stab movie that came out last year? Oh yeah, the one the Knives Out guy directed, right? You know, I actually really liked that one. Of course you did. You have terrible taste. I hate you. The point is, the hardcore stab fans hated it. 
You go on 4chan and Reddit. All they're talking about is how Stab 8 pissed on their childhoods. How they crammed in social commentary just to make it elevated. How the main character is a Mary Sue. What's a Mary Sue? You really don't want to know. What's wrong with elevated horror? I mean, Jordan Peele fucking rules. Uh, obviously, but that's not Stab. Real Stab movies are meta slasher whodunits, full stop. Come on, it's just a movie. No, it's not. To some people, the original is their favorite thing in the world. The movie that made them love horror that mom or dad showed them when they were 10 that bonded them together. And God help anyone who slightly fucks with that special memory who makes a movie they think disrespects it. It sounds like our killer is writing his own version of Stab 8, but doing it as a requel. Which is? See, you can't just reboot a franchise from scratch anymore. The fans won't stand for it. Black Christmas, Child's Play, Flatliners, that shit doesn't work. But you can't just do a straight sequel either. Uh, you gotta build something new, but not too new, or the internet goes bug fucking nuts. It's gotta be part of an ongoing storyline, even if the story shouldn't have been ongoing in the first place. New main characters, yes, but supported by and related to legacy characters. Not quite a reboot, not quite a sequel. Like the new Halloween, Saw, Terminator, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, fuck, even Star Wars. It always, always goes back to the original. Are you telling me that I'm caught in the middle of fan-fucking-fiction? Not just in the middle, Sam. You're the star. So, not to put, like, too fine a point on it, but according to requel rules, who's next? Going by the pattern, whoever it is has to be connected to someone that came before. I'm starting to regret coming here. Jesus, my mom is a character in one of them. No one cares about the shitty, inferior sequels, Wes. You're safe. With Randy as our uncle, though, you and I are probably screwed. Wait, what? Or you're the killer, and this whole, what, elaborate monologue is just to cover your tracks. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear who the killer is at this point. Who? You? <laughs> it makes perfect requel sense. That actually does make a lot of sense. Yeah. What stuck out to me here is the rule new characters need to be related to legacy characters. One popular Bravo reboot idea has been to give the children of the housewives a chance. I believe Lori's daughter in Orange County pitched that exact idea to Andy once, and Jacqueline Larita's daughter Ashley on New Jersey also suggested the same thing. While these two characters aren't the ones we want back on TV, like I never want to see Ashley again. They may have a point about new housewives having a connection to other housewives. What about a niece? A family friend? There are so many ways this could be done. The other rule that was super relevant to this Roni reboot combo is the rule that the internet will go crazy when the cast is too new. So here's basically what Mindy said. She said, if it's a total reboot, fans won't stand for it. It can be new, but not too new. And it has to have an ongoing storyline related to the legacy cast, even if that original storyline shouldn't have been ongoing. So this is something that we're experiencing with this new Housewives show, and I think, again, it's because we got no transition from the OGs to the new Roni cast. I've heard rumblings that some fans want other Bravo shows to be rebooted, and I just want to be really cautious about that. So here's a little PSA from TV Deeds. 
Most of these women are women we have been watching for years, who have careers and lives and are established in their personalities and even in the entertainment industry. I think a lot of Bravo fans have way too much confidence in casting to actually find dynamic women to replace some of our OGs. Like, if we look at the new Roni, no shade against any of the women, but none of these women would have made it on Housewives on other franchises. They only got their shot because the slate was wiped entirely clean. Now, if Bravo does want to reboot a show, here's what I think they should do. I think they need to follow the Real Housewives of Miami strategy. So that show went off the air, off the air for years. So here's what they need to do. Give the show more than one year off the air and bring it back with a mixture of new and old cast members. Miami has become such a fan fave on Peacock that they're moving it back to Bravo, so I honestly think we should be looking at that franchise for some direction. I mean, even during season 5, they brought back Leah Black for a scene. So again, hats off to purveyors of pop for knowing exactly how to truly execute a reboot and make it successful. So those are just my thoughts as I continue to watch the new Roni reboot and I see all these comments about rebooting some of our other favorite Bravo shows. Again, let's just be cognizant of not only does Bravo have the money in the casting department to actually find new interesting women, but when we totally reboot a show, like, do we really have a couple years to kind of give it to get into it? I just, I don't even understand that argument. So I'm willing to watch the new New York. I am watching it. Um, but I think Scream has a, a few points or two that uh, Bravo could listen to. Now for another exclusive Real Housewives of Potomac update. I feel like I'm bringing you guys these RHOP updates every week, uh, but uh, you got to tell your friends, listen to the TV Deets podcast if they want the scoop. So here it is. So remember a few weeks ago, Sharice uh, was spotted with Chris Samuels. You guys remember that photo, right? Now, you know, I have the real tea. So here's what happened. Chris was waiting to meet someone for lunch who isn't in the picture and Sharice just happened to show up. So there are a few like staple restaurants in Potomac and this is one of them. So it's not unrealistic for them to run into each other. But what is unrealistic is the leaked photo. So the day before this photo of Sharice and Chris was posted, I had actually reshared a photo on my social media of Karen Huger and Chris Samuels. This photo was taken by a friend of TV Deets at an event in D.C., now, when that friend posted this photo, it had been up for probably about like 18 hours by the time I saw it. I reposted the photo. Sharice must have seen the attention Karen and Chris's pick got because her pick with Chris miraculously ended up leaking the very next day. But here's the scoop. Sharice's photo was taken about a week before the photo of Karen and Chris. So basically, when Sharice ran into Chris at that restaurant, she had someone run across the street and take the pic. <laughs> no, I'm not even joking. Um, I'm told that the two did have a quick chat, and Chris has basically forgiven Sharice for being involved in that plot about the paternity of Chris and Monique's youngest son. So they did have a little chat, but Sharice definitely wanted people to see that she had ran into Chris. Allegedly. So, after this pic of Karen and Chris surfaced, Sharice leaked her pic. I know a lot of you have been asking for an update on Chris and Monique's divorce, and I have that for you as well. So, 
they have a prenup and they are following it. Chris has given Monique about a two and a half million or two million dollar housing allowance and she has already picked out a house, although I'm told it will be much cheaper than the two million dollars and her plan is to renovate it. Which, you know, if you're asking me, sounds a little Giselle-like. Now, this divorce is set to be finalized in the next four weeks and both parties are said to be doing okay. As you've seen, Chris is out there living his best life, uh, which we love. Uh, and Monique has her radio show. She's doing her thing too. So just a little interesting update there, but it is not finalized yet. It'll be finalized in the next four weeks. Um, and I believe Monique has a little bit more time in the house, like through the summer. Um, so we should be some moving, uh, see some moving in the fall and what that new house looks like. But that's a little Potomac update for you. Here's what I'm watching this week. You guys know I love all things TV and film, but mainly unscripted. At the moment, I'm watching a lot of documentaries, and I wanted to tell you about The Con on Hulu. This series is hosted by Whoopi Goldberg, who provides A++ commentary as only Whoopi can across each one-hour episode that focuses on a different con. This show has two seasons, but here in Canada, season one is available on Disney+. I skipped to the Varsity Blues and Fire Festival episodes honestly because I've already seen documentaries on those, but the rest are must-see. Now one episode is called The Heiress Con, and it follows this woman who pretended to be an Irish heiress and ended up swindling thousands of dollars from her gay BFF in Los Angeles. Iconic, but troubling nonetheless. Another episode, The Royal Con, features a man who defrauded people into believing he was a Saudi prince when the entire time he had absolutely nothing to do with the family. Also incredible. Both are powerful episodes, but the entire series is worth watching. Again, this is on Hulu or Disney Plus internationally. And let me know in the comments, send me an email, DM me. What other documentaries are you watching and would you like to hear about on the podcast? Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the TV Deets podcast. Follow me, Brett, on Twitter at Staffin and on Instagram at Brett Staffin. And be sure to follow at TV Deets for the latest news and ratings on all platforms. Each week, I share the podcast on my social media pages, and I would really appreciate you taking the time to leave a comment. It makes a huge difference. And if you have a few more minutes, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and let your friends know about all of the piping hot tea we just discussed. See you guys next week.